Hi everybody, this, this who you're hearing right now, this is your friendly pal Austin, and you are listening to none other than your podcast opinion is wrong, episode 37 if I'm not mistaken, uh, the big really? 37, yeah, wow, um, uh, with us today, ooh, listeners, you're in for a treat, with us today is, of course, our old friends Steve, hello, and Robert, hola, uh, and, of course, me, Austin, I've already introduced myself. But we have a first-timer on the oh, podcast yes. this week. And uh, I'm sure he's he's rip-roaring, <laughs> ready to uh, re- introduce himself. So, um, please, TJ, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm uh, I'm TJ, and I've been writing for the blog and been listening. Uh, long-time listener, first-time uh, helper. I don't know. It's talker. I guess yeah. this, is technic- this is technically a call. We call them podcast elves here. Podcast elves? Yeah. So that would make me a podcast elf. Yeah. Yes, now you are so, welcome one of us. As a... <laughs> anyway, this, we're, we're off to a festive start here on um, on your podcast, Opinion is Wrong. Um, <coughs> tis uh, the season. Yeah, tis the season, <laughs> indeed. Um, who wants to get into what are you listening to? Which is, of course, where we talk about what we've been listening to. I'll start. Awesome. Okay, well, something uh, I was just listening to right now uh, is uh, uh, Tim Hecker. And I've been kind of going through a little bit of a journey of ambient music, sort of sampling a lot of different artists, finding out who I like. And uh, Tim Hecker is one of my favorites right now. I think he's awesome, and I think he's great. And you know, I think a lot. You know, when a lot of people you know think of ambient music, they think you know, uh, like uh, a certain member of the podcast group. Not right now, but um, okay, I'm referring to Kyle. <laughs> you know, some a lot of people think that you know ambient is just boring, but like um, the way Tim Hecker does it, he fills it with so much sound that it couldn't be possibly be boring to me. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, that was, I believe, my fifth favorite record of of 2011. Oh, have you been listening to Rave Death? Is that? Yeah, yeah. Rave Death was the first I, the first album album of his I listened to. Um, the most recent, uh, well, the one I've been listening to most recently was um, his 2006 album Harmony and Ultraviolet, and I probably, I might, yeah, I might like that one more actually. I've actually been, um, not to like get into my segment really uh, that in-depth, but this is mainly what I've been listening to, that sort of noise-ambient style. And um, Tim Hecker is sort of like the the sort of the, the grandfather, well, not grandfather, but the leader of the whole scene, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, he's, um, he's one of my favorites, and I've been listening to him a lot lately, too. Did you listen to his, um, his collaboration with Dan Lapotten? Uh, I've listened to a little bit of it. I've only heard a few tracks. Um, some of it I kind of liked, but some of it kind of seemed like, uh, you know, let's just jam some noisy shit in here and see if it works. And if it doesn't, who cares? It's not you know? the most interesting thing in the world, yeah. But um, it, it's sort of, I mean, it's not quite a parody of that style, but it is sort of very. It's kind of, but it seems a little by, yeah, it seems like a little bit by the numbers. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's exactly what you think it would be, mm-hmm. you know. 
See, but it sort of dulls the other like what I like about Tim Hecker and what I like about OPN because it you know it has you know granted like the distorted drones and all that, but not quite to the you know sort of emotional resonance that Tim Hecker has, and it doesn't yeah. have the same sort of like um, nostalgia like um, s- uh, sample wizardry that OPN has, particularly on um, uh, replica. replica. Which, which, yeah. and of course, you know, both those albums came out last year, and in my opinion, the 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 yeah. most, um, the best of that both artists has to offer. So it was, I mean, I was really excited for this album, and I was a little put out, but you know, I'm not complaining. It it was a it was a decent enough listen. It it was decent. It you know it wasn't phenomenal. Um, it's actually a, a little bit harder for me to get into get into OPN. I'm coming around to it now, but uh, I'm not sure why, but just. It took me a long time to get into Replica, and I'm still kind of trying to. And um, I just I just downloaded um, Returnal, his 2010 album, and probably going to listen to that pretty soon. Yeah, yeah see, I, I actually had the opposite uh, reaction in that. Uh, I, I like OPN. Uh, OPN, by the way, is a one of tricks point never, um, for those of you listening <laughs> who, who, who may not know, uh, just uh, FYI. Uh, I actually like him. Or his stuff a bit more than Tim Hecker. Although to be honest, I haven't, I haven't listened to Rave Death uh, in a really long time, and I think I should because I think I'll like it better. Because uh, the other thing he did, he released in 2011, that uh, pianos one. Uh, uh, drop the pianos. Yeah, yeah, drop pianos. I, I, I actually familiar, really like that. I'm not familiar with that actually. Tim Hecker drop, released that. Drop pianos. It came out as sort of like a supplement to Rave Death. Right, and yeah. um, I think I, I may be wrong in this, but it was the uh, piano improvisations I think that were the samples for Rave Death 1979. Yeah, am I yes, wrong? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and they're like these really sort of beautiful, uh, you know, poignant um, piano solos, and you hear a lot of the same chords and melodies, uh, albeit you know distorted to all hell on Rave Death. Yeah, I, I I actually did hear about that. Now that I'm looking up, looking it up, looking it up. Yeah, and um, yeah, it sounds really interesting. I'll, I'll have to download that pretty soon. It's a nice listen. It is mm-hmm. like to to in the sense that uh, Rave Death is kind of like background ambient study music. This is you know exactly that without all the you know, stu- <laughs> studio studio wizardry, which is fine. I mean, I loved it, but um, yeah, no, it, like, it is a really pleasant uh album to listen to uh, from what i remember um it's it's music to play minecraft too i think yeah 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 it's, it's c418 when you don't want to listen to c418 yeah um c4 c418 by the way is the guy who composed the soundtrack to minecraft um so there, there's that <laughs> reference as well yeah uh, but yeah I, I i did not get that <laughs> yeah it, it i mean it did take me a while to to uh sort of warm up to uh one oh tricks point never uh, the whole um that thing but sort of the more i listen to that album uh replicas well i couldn't think of it for a while uh the more i listened to it the more i kind of picked up on it and i really well with the whole vaporwave thing i've really come to like the whole uh wonder <laughs> aspect of that this uh, is exactly what i wanted to talk about with you steve because you are sort of the uh expert in residence of of vaporwave and vaporwave culture i feel comfortable <laughs> in saying i i really don't feel comfortable in accepting that but well okay. too bad <laughs> Um, okay, so the uh, the new essential list for Vaporwave 
which I think in itself is kind of a joke, but I still went by it anyways because yeah. who gives a shit? Um, has uh, a couple listed as proto vapor, which was maybe oh the God. most ridiculous genre literally ever <laughs> invented. Um, okay. But among those was James Ferraro, who does the eco jams thing that um, right, I believe yeah. uh, Dan Lopatin also had a hand in occasionally. But um, Replica by One Tricks Point Never is listed as Proto Vapor. And the more I thought about this, the more it was absolutely perfect because it's not um, the complete like sound curation thing that Vaporways has. You know, it's more uh, chopped and screwed, if you will. Right, but exactly. It, it, it has a lot of the same nostalgic tendencies because I guess the samples come from somewhat of the same era, like yeah, 90s yeah, commercials the, and that. The atmosphere and feel of Replica is really very similar to, uh, I think, some of the uh, best uh, that Vaporwave has to offer. I really can't believe I just said that sentence, but um, <laughs> but but it's true. Um, I, I, I do think Dan, Daniel Lobedon, uh, you know, obviously is more, uh, is a more sophisticated sophisticated composer, and he does more with the samples, and yeah, they're more chopped and screwed in, in interesting ways, and it ultimately makes uh, replicas at least um, a more interesting album to listen to um, than pretty much all of Vaporwave. But yeah, they they do I think come from um, similar mindsets, uh, kind of. Uh, similar end goals uh that that the artists have um and soon I, enough, I, sorry yeah i said soon enough um post vapor is coming mm-hmm. yeah it, it'll happen mm-hmm. eventually no because this is really <laughs> fascinating to me because i think uh uh you know uh micro genres internet micro genres are a, a ripe topic for conversation because they really do like fascinate me because it is the first, you know, Chill Wave, I guess, was one of the first instances of mm-hmm. literally a movement arising solely on the internet with no geo- geographical, you know, limitations or anything, which right. is, you know, sort of in it, music on the internet, that's the future of it, I guess. Well, yeah, and, I mean, yeah. You know, if you think about it, these micro genres are kind of the, at least right now, it seems to be the direction that the music is heading. Like beforehand, it would take, you know, entire generations hundreds of years for you know us to move uh genre forward essentially like moving from baroque to classical to romanticism i mean that took centuries uh, yeah. to and do granted whereas... with like phone and fax technology things started happening a little bit quicker but um... right, yeah and it's like as you get to the 20th century as technology improves as yeah uh, global communication improves we kind of are able to uh, progress these musical styles uh, further, or you might say, kind of wear them out more quickly, or people get just tired of them more quickly and kind of want to move on to the next thing. And yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, not necessarily explicitly a good or bad thing, but yeah, it does seem it, it just uh, the the time frame seems to be shrinking and shrinking for you know how long a genre is quote unquote relevant, hmm. um, which is it's. Emphasis, emphasis on the quotes there. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think microgenres are a, a prime <coughs> example of uh, internet culture and, you know, sort of the kinds of things that uh, can spawn from it. What's, what's really fascinating to me is the sort of cycle that they're going through because, um, you know, you granted you had stuff like garage rock, which would you know harken back to like '60s garage bands and things like that, and old blues. Mm-hmm. 
But Chill Wave in particular is when like eighties pop started having, you know, this massive eighties pop revival that's going in the, you know, the current indie sphere, uh, right. one might say. And um then Vaporwave, uh, like, you know, just the next generation of, you know, micro genres are doing this early night or mid to late nineties, you know, Windows ME type early CGI type thing. Which it's cool because it's, you know, it's literally just the different generation of kids making music is has a different, you know, concept of what nostalgia is for them, what, you know, bits of culture trigger that. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting going in the future that we're going to keep seeing new generations of kids um, making new nostalgia-fueled music with different mm-hmm. things. All like, right, yeah, I mean, you can kind of, yeah, see this pattern in the cycle. <laughs> is, yeah, as, you know, more kids or or not, they're not kids anymore, but as more people, yeah. you know, kind of grow up, enter the workforce, enter the uh, creative uh, aspects of uh, industry and art, uh, you know, they're going to be influenced by what they grew up with. And so, you know, we kind of see these callbacks. Um, I mean, I think still as a culture, we're kind of still kind of stuck in 80s revivalism, but it's, you know, starting to seep back into the 90s. And I'm sure uh, grunge or new grunge is going to make uh, some kind of splashes um, <laughs> eventually uh, for, for better or worse. Um, Momus actually, uh, just thinking of this, he wrote a live journal entry kind of about, about this a couple years back, uh, talking <laughs> about, uh, you know, how, how there's kind of this, you know, continuing, <laughs> continuing cycle, like, uh, in the early 2000s, it was all, like Austin said, kind of about 60s, 70s garage rock, and then kind of towards the end of the decade, we started getting into 80s synth pop and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I do think there is, uh, you know, something to us. Um, and he had like terms for all this, but I can't remember what they are. But uh, yeah, it's um, interesting. And I was and I was talking about this on the forum too. How this all this doesn't just apply to music it, it it does apply to culture as a whole like if you look at the indie game scene right now what mm. pretty much everyone is making is uh you know side scrollers uh you know like 8 16 bit graphics all very you know retro in the, in, in the way that harkens back to the SNES and the Sega Genesis and, and all that um, and, and that's that's kind of what they do, both because I guess that's what the people who make them, you know, grew up with. And that's also what a lot of people are buying right now because it it's also profitable as shit. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds them of the games they played as, you know, as a kid. Um, and, and I think that's fine because, you know, you kind of get these uh, developers, these publishers also get to do different things um, sort of within that scope. But I'm just waiting for the, the day when they start like looking back on old PS1 graphics with these really uh, not photorealistic at all, fucked up po- polygonal abominations. Oh, yeah. That, Just terrible. Just terrible. That, it, well, they look awful, but I love them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, I posted this quote by Brian Eno that <laughs> I, you know, really, really like. Uh, I'm not going to be able to find it again. But it, it's something to the effect of, you know, everything that uh, is sort of ugly and unfamiliar about uh, either a new form of media or just a new type of media will eventually be the thing that that, you know, um, 
media is recognized and uh, remembered and, and admired for, like sort of how crappy and tinny 8-bit music sounded. Well, now everyone's trying to recreate that. We have a whole, you know, chiptune uh, subculture up on the internet. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just waiting for that to catch up to uh, the PS1 era because I've been really into uh, PS1 era uh, RPGs as of late. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, TJ, that... what do you think of all this? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, TJ hasn't spoken yet. Good God. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's interesting in that itself, you have all these subcultures, but also how they're covered, because it seems as if um, with every retro subgenre or whatnot, there is only one poster child for each of these bands or each of these uh, video games, even. Like, the big one for the throwback to old... NES, SNES games is like the Super Meat Boy, and like it's like that indie game, the movie documentary that seemed to focus on that. Oh my god, I love that fucking movie. Yeah, I, I still see that. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's I mean, it, it kind of, I mean, these people's livelihoods uh, do rely on the games they make, and that is important. But it does seem as if it makes it the end of the world, literally. Um, if they don't get their games made, but and, but for them it is because financially it's the only thing that they're doing. If they, and if they don't make the games, that's go get real jobs probably. But it, they're really interesting people. But the uh, what are the games on that? So they're Super Meat Boy. Uh, I think Fez's. Uh... Yes, a Fez and a Braid. Yes, Braid. Yeah, I mean. Okay. So it... Go on. Uh, um, and all the different people who made all the those three games were very different people as it depicted by that uh, documentary. But it really did focus on three games when there are like, you know, hundreds of examples, thousands of examples of um, of uh, of these new retro throwback games, the indie games. But, I mean, that is also the only way you can make a documentary that makes any sense is by focusing on one, two, or three games. But it seems like even like Pitchfork will champion one chill wave band over other chill wave bands and one of every example and they only you know they give their their best in music to one example of each of these subgenres. it seems like well yeah well i, I think part yeah. of the problem with the micro genre is that um it's so self-contained and it, it's like a flash in the pan you know it's it's gone as quickly as it starts that it really doesn't you know kind of allow for the sort of uh development and um outside of creating the music sort of a, an understanding by the people who listen to it to sort of its uh, subtleties and intricacies and you know kind of what makes this band you know do different things than the other um you know i with something more uh grandiose like you know rock or rap mm -hmm. or, or what have you you, can, you know you, you sort of have not only more people doing it but it's also been around longer so we we can recognize you know uh different flavors of it yeah um and yeah the micro genre sort of its, it's insularity is uh self-defeating uh in that sense and that's of course you get the example where a micro genre might lead to a macro genre or, or what have you i don't know if we've really nope. seen that happen yet not, not quite yet no but um but it'll, but it'll be interesting if it does um i mean Macro pretty much all genre. you need is you know uh yeah all, all you need is some you know marketing people <laughs> to sort of as they do pluck 
some aspect of, you know, a sub or counterculture and then mass market that. And then you sort of have this uh, shift um, in how it's presented and in its perception. And, you know, just just imagine if they did that for Vaporwave, which from what I'm hearing is apparently what Rihanna did on, on SNL. Uh, yeah, the C-Punk shit. I read about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like shit like that. So, um, you know, if you imagine that on a larger scale, I, I think it'd be really interesting uh, to see how that would play out. But uh, I I also don't think we've seen that yet. So, it's a really um, good article that holds. We got a C punk thing. <laughs> What's the most famous C punk band? I, I think that I think C punk was more of a joke than the other ones. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like honestly, I wasn't even aware of C Punk and Vaporwave. I, I heard it tossed a, uh, around occasionally. I mean, I, I, I had heard the name tossed around, but I didn't realize it it like meant the same thing or meant the same uh, sort of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just thought it was uh, C Punk. It's punk about C, which apparently it isn't. Yeah. No. Yeah, I think a few podcasts ago we talked about how I was very disappointed that C Punk wasn't, uh, you know, a pirate themed punk rock or something like that. <laughs> Which oh, right. does exist, we also determined. Oh, well, yes, we also, yes. There is, there is, uh, yeah, steampunk, which sounds similar, but... Is but entirely terrible. No <laughs> redeeming qualities. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there would be any. Yeah. Should I talk about what else I've been listening to? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, Austin, you might be the... The only person that would uh, hear that would appreciate this band, but um, a band that I've been like upset with lately is our Neurosis. Who's who? I listen to them. Neurosis. You, you're you're cracking up a little bit. Hold on a second. I, I think I think you're saying Neurosis. 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 Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. I vaguely know about Neurosis because they're lumped in with the post metal uh, category, I guess. But um. I've always avoided them, not because I hear they're bad, but because their album covers are, without fail, terrible. Um, which I know I should probably have come to expect when it comes to uh, metal bands. And I can deal with it, but I just haven't gotten around to it. I probably have them sitting in my library somewhere, actually. How is the, how, they, they just released a new record, I hear. How is, how is it going? How is it? How it's is all right. It? Yeah. It's all right. It's, you know, it's already a concept of sludge metal and you know, post metal and whatnot. I recommend that as a record to start with. I can give you a few records to start with, but, you know, not... You know, all right, you know. Um, yeah, I, I read a review of it that was, you know, less than enthusiastic, but I, I guess sort of um, uh, what, that, what somebody said, that even, you know, Neurosis is the worst stuff is usually pretty good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think um, Aaron just... On the metal thread, um, it's by far one of by far one of the worst Neurosis albums, but it's still pretty great. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the best sentences I've ever read in my life. Right. But yeah, you should get over your little album and just go for it. I'll do that. Wow, they've been around since '85. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It started as like a like a crust punk band. Amidic's worship, pretty much. Okay. Who are terrible, in um, my opinion, by the way. I'm not a fan of them. Uh, I tried to listen to them once. Well, Crestpunk 
in general isn't my thing. Early early crust is really um, really bad, but I like some crust. Yeah, yeah. Early crust is bad. Some of the newer stuff is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but at like the third or fourth album, they just decided to go total, you know, doomy sludge metal with you know post rock and folk ones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're awesome. I guess uh, they had sort of a. This is really interesting to me because Neurosis and then another one uh, you you and I, I to a certain extent me are a big fan of, um, which is Converge. It's just these hardcore bands that started like fairly early, but have gone on to become insane and experimental like over like thirty years. These like hardcore bands, the lifespan of a hardcore band is usually months at the you know the longest, but um uh they they've been around forever and they haven't you know, done the same thing over and over again. They've grown and, you know, uh, uh, changed like hardcore bands are not usually want to do. And uh, that that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, anything else you've been listening to? Um, uh, Jay Retard. Of I'm course. Finally kind of, I'm finally kind of getting on to him. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I wish I knew him and appreciated him before he passed away. Um, but I'm just listening to him. I'm stuck in I mean, you know, the first thing I heard was Blood Vision. So that's like, mm-hmm. if it was released in 77, it would be a classic by now. Uh, uh, yeah, I, that, that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has totally that feel to me. And then I listened to the Matador singles 08, and, you know, it has some punk elements, but it's really sort of, it kind of has a, a synth rock kind of power pop thing going on, but the mm-hmm. songs are so unbelievably catchy that, right. you know, it's it, a record store. And one of the things that I bought was um, well, singles 06 of 07, which yeah. is an album I already had on my hard drive. I haven't listened to you much as much as those other two. So I look forward to listening to that as well. But um, yeah, Jerry Chuck is fantastic. Yeah. True. All right. Um, yeah. All right. Should, should we should we move on, Robbie? Have you have you talked about yeah, what you wanted to? Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, pretty much. TJ, would you like to yes. talk about what you've been listening to this week? Yes, I would. Um, the thing I've listened to the most this week after Titus, cause I saw Titus last week and that was a great show. Um, oh, you should uh, talk about that too. All right. Yeah. The, uh, then, then I'll just start with Titus. Um, I've listened to a lot of the, the new record. Um, I've heard, you, you guys have talked about how everyone's kind of disappointed at first, but how it's grown on most people. And I think it's the same thing for me. Um, um, in a big city, I fucking love that song. That song I think is my That's favorite good. song off that track. And live, it's great. Um, surprisingly, a lot of people were singing along to that song, even more than their older tracks. But, but I guess it is the single. I mean, it, it, is, it has yeah. that. It has that music video with you know the lyrics on it and Bender and other <laughs> other crappily put together. <laughs> What's the deal with that? I love that video, but it's terrible. Yeah, I. I you know, it's a great song, but it's a terrible video. <laughs> You know what I think it might be? I think Titus are inventing a new sort of micro-genre aesthetic, which is, uh, like, Windows 2003 uh, movie maker videos. 
do it yourself. Yeah, right. I like that. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's been a while. <laughs> that's, been, that's been around for a while. Well, it's been around since 2003. Yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think I, think I got a fact check lab one there. I'll I'll do that. But yeah, that is um probably my favorite track from the album. I mean, it's I was just talking catchy. about the music video, not the not the lyric video. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm talking about the lyric video. <laughs> oh, did they oh, okay. go for it? Yeah, it's like. It's really corny. It's it's pretty much Patrick walking around New York City. Oh, and, damn like, it. That sucks. Like, 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 the lyrics. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Just picture that the whole time. And that, that's basically the video. That's really bad. Jesus. I like the lyric video it's better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least got the, that, that one's got some funny pictures yeah. in it. <laughs> um. Th- they played well. Uh, Converge opened, and then there was a local band who uh, they added to the set Can last minute. Hmm? What? Jesus Christ, Ma- Robbie, your microphone. Fuck, <laughs> man. Is there anything you can do? I can stand really fucking close to it. Well, no, that's work. also What's... horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's just horrible in a new way. <laughs> Hey, fuck, fuck, I don't know. I'm sort of leaning into this any better. I, I don't know. It just keeps cutting out. I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm not an engineer. Know, we'll... God yeah. damn it. We'll just... we, we can suffer through it. We'll We've just done deal worse. with it. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Anyway, local, convert... band, local band that was opening up for Titus, TJ. Um, yeah, they were solid. I didn't even catch their name, but they were uh, they were good. They actually pr- played a longer set than Ceremony, which surprised me. They kept asking for they kept asking for more songs, and the sound engineer just kept nodding. And um, but but then uh, Ceremony came on, and there were this wave of people wearing jackets with spikes on it. Oh God damn it! I know. <laughs> and they were moshing and pulling people into the pit that did not want to be in the pit. Welcome to Ceremony fans. They're yes. almost always terrible people um yeah well i mean a it's kind of hard not to have a longer set than ceremony as most of their songs are 45 seconds long yeah I I noticed that. <laughs> but um uh, yeah it, it's good to know that the local crust punks of whatever town you're from came out to uh to i i i assume uh mosh for ceremony and then leave for titus um yes yes they did <laughs> because when titus came on the crowd was significantly thinner, and people were walking out during the last song, which was Battle of Hampton Roads, which blew my God mind. God damn it. That's their best song. I know. People Ugh, were walking out. That makes out. me angry. Um, like, bored. Yeah. Uh, did, this, uh, this offend- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Much, man. Uh, it offends me so fucking much, man. Yeah. Now, uh, not not to dwell on Ceremony, because I, I don't know if you're the biggest Ceremony fan, but were they playing more of their newer album stuff, which is like sort of 70s British punk, as opposed to the like insane steroid power violence? I would say the latter. Um, I haven't listened to a lot of Ceremony, but it was not... There are a lot of really short, indecipherable songs. Oh, yeah, that's that's probably <laughs> the latter, yeah. Huh. Actually, when I saw... Um, can you guys hear me all right? Yeah, vaguely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, when I saw them, uh, they were probably I've seen them twice before this year already. Yeah. Um, and they were pretty underwhelming both times. But um, the Titus show, um, 
time I've seen them this year. Probably because mostly what they play was older stuff. I take it you guys can't hear me at all. I, I, I oh. got most of it. Yeah, yeah I did. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, was the uh, was the set list for Titus mostly stuff from the old album or the new album, or is it mon- or like a good mix no, of everything? It, totally balanced. It was balanced. Oh, nice. It was, like four, it was like four or five yeah. songs from every album. That's good. I like that. Oh, that's a, great, it's that's a, a good it's set a, list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a great mixture. Yeah. Um, they played the first uh, three tracks from the new album, which are three of my favorites. Um, they didn't play yeah. um, my eating disorder, but they played all oh. my other favorite tra- they did play all my other favorite tracks from that album so i was happy mm-hmm. um what else uh they, they played no future no future three um yeah, yeah. Th- th- those were highlights most definitely i was really happy to play Tyus andronicus forever after a more perfect union because that song it leads to that corny rock concert moment but it's great where he, he gives everyone a solo and he announces their names and <laughs> And Titus is the corny <laughs> band that can pull, pull it off, and it's awesome. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Patrick was great. I talked to him twice that night because he sold his own merch. I bought a, a local business shirt and the vinyl, red vinyl. And nice. Um, he's a nice guy. Um, he's not a dick or anything, so that, that's always a, a bonus. Yes, he was great. I peed next uh, to him. I saw them a couple uh, <laughs> last. I saw them last summer, <laughs> and. Um, back when he was still bearded and uh i would say that they played better this time but the crowd the first time i saw them was just a thousand times better but yeah but it's it a great show um i listened to a lot of titus before and after the show i wasn't burnt out on him which is always nice yeah but, but that segues me to uh what i've been listening to since which is uh a bunch of sufjan stevens christmas songs <laughs> oh yeah nice. because they, they just released like five discs of them i think yep the next five Am I, am I in the minority <laughs> that it's that they're awesome? I'm in oh, like the them. minority yeah. that I don't oh, give a fine. shit, but yeah. In <laughs> fact, I'm missing a Sufjan concert right now because tickets sold out. Oh, that's so sticks. it goes. Did you want to read the, the Pitchfork uh, review of their Philadelphia show? No, I didn't. No, no. It seemed like um, they got tired of it about an hour in, but Sufjan just kept energizing the crowd i mean it pretty much is just all christmas sing-alongs and all the originals from all 10 eps just totally a christmas concert uh and i think the first show was on black friday uh in philadelphia so at least as part of the season oh, the, the most wonderful time of the year yeah. black friday <laughs> sufjan stevens know, is the henry darger of indie rock like it's just i i don't know why he does or how he does what he does but he keeps doing it and he doesn't really show any signs of stopping. It's very weird. He, he yeah. gets on little uh, kicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with the 50 Stage Project that he admit was a gimmick. But, I mean, you know. I, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't doubt if he was... Although they are, before. ironically, his two best albums. Oh, no, absolutely. No, that's... Okay, fight me. Illinois is one, and yes. Seven Stones is the other. I haven't listened to that. Eight what are we talking about Age of Odds? Age of uh, Odds, close three. I don't care. I would, I'd say, I would say Illinois one, Odds two, and then uh, Seven Swans and All Delighted People before Michigan. Um, I'd, put, I'd, I'd put Michigan really before... Like Seven Swans. I'd, I'd put Michigan before All Delighted People. 
I don't know. I fucking love all the lighted people. It was kind of a throwback to the older sound. And actually, a lot of the Christmas songs sound like they should be on All the Lighted People. Um, they kind yeah. of have that, that production yeah, yeah. style. You're right. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't like All the Lighted People, or people bleh, as much as yeah, his full albums. Although yeah. it, is, it is 60 minutes, so it's kind of an album, not, not really in an EP. It's an uh, album. Mm-hmm. I count as an yeah. album. Yeah. Um, well, I think it was interesting that he called it an EP, I'm pretty sure. Well, it, 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 intentionally like, so, because he was like, I can make an EP that's 60 minutes long because I'm Sufi and fucking Stevens. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. And, yeah, that, and that's kind of how I feel about uh, the new set of Christmas albums is that they're, they're fun. I mean, they're not going uh, on, like, my wall anywhere. Not that I have anything but, <laughs> From Sue Count Stevens on my wall, but if I were to put something on my wall, it wouldn't be uh, uh, these albums. But they are, you know, yeah, they're nice, pleasant uh, takes on uh, Christmas tunes, um, old and and new. I don't uh, think get nearly like I don't think people get nearly as ex- would get nearly as excited for them as they would like a quote unquote actual new Sue Count album. Well, yeah, oh, no, totally. And, and and they're a different thing, you know. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not yeah. the same. And that's fine. Um, what I—I I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, I don't know if you were around a couple of years ago, but um, one of these, one of the albums, um, I think number eight, actually leaked onto the internet. Yeah, uh, I heard about that. Christmas Voyage, Infinite Infinity Voyage, I think it was with like called. The gu- with like the Gundam in front of it. Yeah, what the hell was up with that? <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. Well, the original what? cover was this like. Uh, Looked like a, like an Eskimo guy and yeah. like weird hat. Um, it was like and 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 its title was longer. It was like Super Astral Space and Christmas Infinity Voyage Part Seventeen. I don't know, but um, but yeah. What was it, in front of it again? What was in front of it again? Super Is Astral there... something. Yeah. It was just a just a bunch of nonsense. Uh, oh, okay. Like 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 with many Sufjan Stevens songs. Um, <laughs> they are novels but, in themselves. Yes. Yes. But uh, yeah, and so I guess he really has been writing these every year and just kind of releasing them to his friends. And I guess this is just him polishing them up and yeah, giving them out to everyone. I would like to know who which one of his friends actually leaked that uh, onto onto what. But um, we'll probably never know. It's probably Andy Clark. <laughs> are, are they buddies? That's nice. That's cute. I like that. Yeah, Annie used to play with Sufjan, didn't she? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, Sarah oh, Warden yeah, and the National. Trying to think right. of all the people he hangs out with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Warden. Sarah Warden did the vocal solo in Impossible Soul. I know yeah, that. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. It's a, and oh. she has one. She has great voice. Oh yeah. Fucking love her. Um. The last time I, soul. I, I fucking danced that song at my wedding. I love that song. <laughs> That's adorable. I'm totally pissed off my in-laws because it's 25 minutes long, but uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. I've decided my my wedding song is gonna be "Dope Smoker" by Sleep, which is I don't know if you know, uh, "Dope Smoker," but it's um mm-hmm. a 60 minute long doom metal album. It's just one song, but yeah, I just plan on starting a uh, uh, like a old person mosh pit it'll be great yeah i'd probably dance to the first um 
William Bazinski disintegration loop. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that well, that's an hour long. Yeah. Oh, that's the perfect it's the <laughs> And we, it's the same fucking thing the whole time. Check footage of nine eleven in the background too. It'll be great. <laughs> like, yeah, it's but, so uplifting. Uh-huh. This wedding's great, but eventually it's going to decay and fall apart. And <laughs> and just, just like the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That is quite a laugh. I mean, that is the great thing about the disintegration loops is that they are they are applicable uh, in every situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, nothing's permanent. Mm-hmm. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell were we talking about? Sufjan, right? Sufjan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love from... I love the Christmas yeah. EPs. I might put it on my top ten just to troll people, but but I, I love them. I, I think oh. Infinity. I think <laughs> Infinity Voyage. I think Infinity Voyage is the best one, though. Um, it smells yeah, experimental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Christmas Unicorn, uh, the single and that uh, that EP are also pretty intense and awesome. And, uh, uh, yeah. I love that fucking song. Um, yeah, that one's uh, great. I'm trying to think of other good... Uh, Bar Carolla, I played that, and we did a sync to the other night, and I played that song, and that song is very Sufjan-esque in its, uh, in its harmonies and its... Um, and it's a climax, but there's a lot of really good songs. There's the introspective. I mean, the originals are the highlights, unsurprisingly, but all the covers are fun for what they are. Yeah. I'm kind of numb to Christmas music because my mom has always played it from Halloween (laughs) till New Year's uh, since I was a baby, so it doesn't bother me anymore. It used to, but... (laughs) I I was just desensitized. Yeah. The the holiday means nothing to you. Just... (laughs) Just uh, oh, today's December twenty fifth. Uh, <laughs> Christmas like... has dissolved the other holidays. Thanksgiving is just an extension of Christmas now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, now. While we're on the subject of Christmas music, I want to bring up an album that I'm sure a lot of you probably aren't aware of, but it's um, well, I like to call it a very harsh noise Christmas, but it's just called the Christmas album, um, featuring the likes of Melt Banana and Mersbau. And Secret Chiefs 3. But it's a lot of harsh noise and experimental Christmas songs, which I recommend to everybody. Oh my okay. fucking god. Link that me sounds... to this. It's, uh, link me yeah. to this down there. <laughs> yeah, the sure. Chat box thing. Uh, if you want to hear the Mersbau version of Silent Night, um, this is the album for you. Uh, but <laughs> that that's that's become a Christmas favorite, uh, favorite around... Um, well, my headphones only, because nobody else wants to hear it. Um, but yeah, I recommend that. <laughs> Oh, Does anybody listen to Christmas music? Because for a while, I sort of avoided it entirely. Because, like, yes, it's Jingle Bells. I don't need to hear that anymore. And uh, But I, I, I've, like, you know, just the atmosphere it provides, I'm a fan of now. Just the positivity and all that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I like well, it. Um, I, I, I once had sort of like an MP3 collection of a bunch of stuff. Uh, it disappeared. I think I lost it with a hard drive. Right. Um. But yeah, yeah, I kind of did the same thing. I went from you know liking it when I was really little to sort of being disgusted with it as a teenager to coming back around to it being you know what this stuff is actually really cozy. Mm-hmm. I uh, w- when you when you collect um, space age pop records like I do and I do, um, you're you know. gonna get a bunch of Christmas albums, and uh, that's always you know prime stuff in my opinion when it comes to space age bachelor pad music. Because uh, you know they, they they know the songs, they can get liberal with the arrangements, which is makes for the best uh, you know space age pop. But yeah, the Esquivel, mm-hmm. Esquivel Christmas album I recommend, and the um, 
Enoch yeah, Light Christmas albums. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to listen to those because I know I'd like them. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The Three Sons as well. The Three Sons. Uh, I actually have, this was one of the first Space Age pop records I bought was uh, Three Sons Christmas. And it is the favorite record of Dwight Eisenhower's wife, which is um, just some random fact that I know about that. I don't know who she is or what kind of music she likes normally, but that's one well, thing about that album. Probably really good music. Power violence. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, power violence. Uh, for me, I really can't. I, I like Christmas, Christmas music. It's very you know pleasant and nice. And I have a few tracks that, you know, a few Thanksgiving tunes that I'll. Uh, Thanksgiving tunes, a few Christmas tunes that individually that I love, but um, am I coming in all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay, okay, just so just so I say a whole bunch of shit before, you know, Austin no, tells me that I like shit. Crystal clear, yeah. Um, but like, I I can't handle more than three or four at a time, or else I I I want to kill people. Um. Because, like, okay, well, a good example is I went to see, uh, I talked about this on the board, I went to see Book of Mormon in um, Los Angeles mm-hmm. over the week, and I went with my, like, my friend and her mom and her aunt, and, like, those two were already really, really annoying people. Um, <laughs> Hopefully but, they're you not know. big podcast fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Not only that, but they played Christmas music the whole fucking time. <laughs> and it was a two-hour ride because they chose some terrible, terrible route. And we got, <laughs> you know, stuck in traffic multiple times. So it was a two-hour ride of, you know, annoying people and Christmas music. You can imagine, well, you can imagine how much I've had, I had to hold in. Right, yeah. Yeah, but you all yeah, that will start with Christmas music so. for you, yeah. Yeah. So I, I need to be off of it for at least another month. <laughs> Until Wait, Christmas. That'll work. It's yeah. the 25th, so it'll be another <laughs> month. Um, yeah, sure. Christmas uh, music can, like, fade into the background easily, though. I mean, it kind of just sets the mood more than actually listen to the arrangements usually. So I can ignore oh, it. Yeah. But I guess if you're in a, a small confined space like a car for a two-hour ride and you hear nothing but uh, Christmas songs, I might, I could say it driving you crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's how someone on the podcast started to hate the Ramones because he listened to the Ramones for three hours in a car ride. I forget who it was, though. <laughs> I can see that. I couldn't do that either. I have done and that. I, I like the that was my that was that was me being eight years old was listening to the Ramones for four hours at a time. Um, anyway, uh, a yeah. what the hell were we talking about? B who was who was talking about what they were listening to? Because I forget. I was. It was Sufjan. Okay, cool. Um, so Sufjan Christmas album, and somehow we're talking about this now. But what else have you been listening to, TJ? Um, today I've been listening to a little bit of a. Uh, uh, Sigaros and uh, and Godspeed You, Black Emperor, the, the, the new album, and I have a uh, Lift Your Tiny Fist on vinyl. I was playing that while I was cooking dinner. Nice, um, mm-hmm. which is great. It's always great. But I only got halfway through because it's also really long. But that's all right. Um, <laughs> and really, I mean, I'm re- other than the Kendrick Lamar album, I haven't really listened to that much this week in terms of uh, a wide variety of bands, just those I mentioned. I am wearing my own palette shirt, which makes Steve happy. You know it. <laughs> I, I, I I knew that. I could just kind of feel that from, from the way you spoke, but uh, I was waiting for you to bring it up. Steve yes, is I'm wearing right. Steve is wearing his Owen Palette onesie. 
on this episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know how like Mormons have that, you know, special underwear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those? Yeah. I have lab with no its face on it. <laughs> but but where's his face? You know. <laughs> I, I do. We do know. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, all. That's all I've been listening to this week. Awesome. Like Steven, would you like to regale us with your listening? Uh, sure. Um, so just limiting myself to this past week, uh, I really only listened to one artist pretty much exclusively. Um, yeah. And then this also ties into what I was talking about earlier with uh, my um, current, not fascination because I've always liked them, but uh, I'm rediscovering a lot of old PS1 RPGs and how, how wonderful they are. And uh, one of these was um, Chrono Cross. Um, and that soundtrack is composed by a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Yasunori Mitsuda. Uh, so I've pretty much just been listening to his stuff. Um, and yeah, I don't really know what to say other than, you know, um, he's just really good. Um, yep, that's all I have to say. Chrono Cross is, I, I feel like a lot of people think, the sort of, like, lesser brother of Chrono Trigger. But from what I hear, it's actually really good. I don't I, you know, I actually yeah, play it. See, it, is, see, I, it is a really good game. I think it is. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say I actually do like Chrono Cross uh, better Ooh. than Chrono Trigger. Because oh. I, I played both of them uh, back to front, actually. Or back to back, or front to front. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I just haven't played either of them. I tried playing uh, the DS version of Chrono Trigger a while ago and just kind of stopped. Um, I really think Angry Birds has killed my uh, attention span for handheld gaming. So <laughs> uh, so, so I, I think I'm just kind of a lost cause on that end. But, but I actually emulated it, the original SNES version on my computer. Um, played it with the controller, and that was a great time. Like, Chrono Trigger is a fucking fantastic game. It is, yeah. My main problem with Chrono Cross, too many fucking characters. See, there's now... Like, there's like 40 characters. You need to there are, draw a line somewhere. There are 45 possible playable characters in Chrono Cross. Now, the thing is, you can't get all of them on just one playthrough. Uh, and, and this yeah, is of course. Like, it has a new game plus, which is something that Chrono Trigger also did. And I guess these were, or, or Chrono Trigger at least was, was kind of one of the pioneers for that, or not the first people to do it, or the first game to do it, but one of the first games to get it right or, like, actually make it fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you have to, like, and then you gotta play I... it three times to get uh, all 45 characters. Now, I understand the criticism that it's too many characters, um, so you, so they're not all, you know, really well-developed. There's a lot of throwaways that you end up never using and all that. I get it. But I also really liked that you actually amassed a small army of people during your time in Chrono Cross. Like, it was sort of... Uh, it felt kind of like Pokemon and that you were collecting all of these guys. And in Pokemon, you know, you, you don't use all the Pokemon that you capture. You kind of use the ones you have at first. When you're, as you gain more, you're able to pick and choose some more. And so I kind of approached Chrono, Chrono Cross um, in that respect. 
Uh, I also think what the game developers were going for and what I also really like is that they really wanted to give people options with how they uh, progress through the game. Um, so by having all of these uh, character options, you know, you have almost limitless uh, possible party combinations, um, even though you kind of always have to have the main guy, but you still get two others that you can be whoever. Um, and I think New Game Plus, you can even get rid of your main guy and have three uh, minor characters. Um, but yeah, that's something I really liked about Chrono Cross is that it actually has branching paths. Like, depending upon your decisions and who you talk to, like, ultimately the end, the end points are the same, but you can go down different routes and sort of, uh, essentially it, it adds up to different characters and different dungeons, um, but I, I, I also, you know, think that's not something that a lot of RPGs do, and I really admired that um, uh, in this particular game. I, uh, I just felt like it was a lot of work to do, and then I felt stupid when I didn't do it. So there's yeah, my I, counter. There's my counter argument. Yeah. I, and I can understand that, um, but I, I, I'd rather have. Uh, kind of more options that I don't necessarily utilize on the first time through uh, than to just not have them at all. Yeah. All right. I feel the, you. The only game I've ever bothered to do New Game Plus on, because my, my, my backlog consists of entirely, like, 50-plus-hour JRPGs. Like, I have about <laughs> 100 of them I want to play, and I'm probably going to get through none of them. But... Um, it was Persona 4, because I'm just, like, such a little bitch who loved that game so much. Yeah, and, I mean, that's um, a mod pack log. Yeah, it's, uh, I recommend bumping that up if you haven't, because it's kind of the best thing ever. But, of course, you know, yeah, there's I'm stuff actually, you gotta do. I'm actually trying uh, Xenogears. Oh, my God, yeah. It, that, speaking of games that make you feel stupid. Because it's pretty much, <laughs> I believe, pretty much the same development team as Chrono Cross. Mm -hmm. um, and Yasunori Mitsuda also... Did a soundtrack uh, for that, uh, so 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 I figure it'll be apropos to be able to compare uh, and contrast the two of them. Uh, I, I only got like an hour into it so far. I mm -hmm. don't really like it as much as Chrono Cross yet, but you know it's kind of hard to judge an RPG by reading what is essentially the first page of it. So there's a lot of fucking dialogue. In, oh yeah, you're gonna so, get that. Yeah. And, and I and from what I hear, it's only going to get uh, better. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I did like that it actually begins with a cutscene that is actually anime and not um, CGI. Or, or it's like CGI anime, but it's still really anime. It's like, oh, I, I wasn't expecting this. And it, and it kind of looks like Neon Genesis uh, Evangelion, but in space. Which, which was also... Uh, it, it was nice. Yeah, um, I, I, the there's a there's a bit gamer free leech a few months ago, and I just took that opportunity to get as many of these as I could, the ROMs of them, and I got all the the spiritual successor to the Xenogears, which is Xenosaga. Um, there was a right, trilogy yeah. of those, and those are all you know fifty plus hours, and all the Dot Hack games. I know I think you mentioned you watched the show. I I actually haven't watched Dot Hack. Oh. I like um, yeah, I got every single, literally every single uh, Shin Megami Tensei game, which is probably <laughs> one entire lifetime all yeah, put together. Like, 
Yeah, <laughs> they're really, uh, I think, uh, games that uh, really sh- like just show the Asperger syndrome in all of us, because <laughs> like you have to be slavishly devoted to enjoy them. And so far, I've really only been able to do that with a few games, but the SMT ones I'm hopeful for. Yeah. yeah <laughs> my, then... my point being, I have too much free time to play video games with. Somebody help me. Yeah. I mean, actually, before this, I downloaded uh, Xenoblade Chronicles for the Oh, Wii. that's the new one, yeah. Because, yeah, that just came out in uh, yeah America this year. Um, and it's supposed to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I kind of want to play the other ones beforehand. I, I don't think there's a continuous narrative, but still. It's yeah, it is sort of spiritual successory. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So hey, we that's... talked about JRPGs forever. Mm-hmm. Who so thought that was uh, going to happen? Uh, yeah. That, well, you know, what am I listening to? Uh, video games. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> But yeah, well, anyway, I do want to talk about Yasunori Mitsuda's music a bit, um, because he's excellent, uh, and, you know, I, I think he does get a lot of comparisons uh, to uh, Nobuo Uematsu, who composed, uh, who's the primary composer for the Final Fantasy series, and who also, in fact, uh, composed a few of the tracks on Chrono Trigger, because... Um, it was interesting. Uh, Mitsuda, while working on Chrono Trigger, I guess worked so hard that he got a stomach ulcer, and so he was essentially out for the count or down for the count. And so Uematsu had to come in and like finish the soundtrack for him, so the game would get made in time. So I guess they're buddies or whatever. <laughs> but um, I read a really good uh, sort of uh, contrast between the two composers. Uh, that said, um, Uematsu is really good at creating uh, pieces which sort of encompass a whole narrative. Like, uh, the main theme of Final Fantasy VII just has so many different themes and different uh, feelings going on in it that it is sort of epic um, in a scope, whereas Mitsuda is much better at capturing a particular feeling or a particular sort of character's personality and translating that into music. So Uematsu's kind of more grandiose, Mitsuda's more focused, but they're both really good at what they do, and I've just kind of been enamored with Mitsuda's compositions because he just writes some fucking gorgeous melodies and knows how to arrange them and worked with a really good uh, sound designer um, on the on Chrono Cross especially, because those tracks sound fucking amazing for the PS1. And he also has some like uh, actual real instruments in there, like there's a lot of guitar and uh, a lot of voice too, uh, unexpected amounts of the kind of sort of, uh, not just singing, but also more choral stuff. Um, it, it's just all really good. And I know I'm, like, the only one here who listens to video game music, like, lists off for fun, but uh, it's it, it's just wonderful. Um, so I'm just sort of uh, soaking in as much of his stuff uh, as I can, and I'm in the process of doing that. Final Fantasy soundtrack's great. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just so memorable. I mean, I've only played two of the Final Fantasy games, 7 and 8, and uh, did he do both those soundtracks? Yep, yeah, he did all of the ones up until I think ten was his last, mm-hmm. and then he's 
and I think he's like independent right now, and he'll be on some other things. From the ones I've played, uh, and people always hate me for this, but ten was my favorite Final Fantasy, like even more than six and uh, four. I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah I, I, I dug it, and then I was really confused when I got Final Fantasy ten too, and I turned that one <laughs> off after about after about you know forty five minutes. I didn't play that one again. You see, yeah. Like, this is- you see, I'm probably I'm, I'm just fine with being the only person on earth that, that the game was legitimately fun. I and didn't not, give it. I, I granted just, I didn't give it its proper time. I think <laughs> I was more like, mm, how no. do I make my parents think I'm gay? It's this. <laughs> <laughs> well, From what I've heard, I, I I've heard really good things about like Ten Two's battle system, like uh, dress spheres. I, I've heard it's really are, interesting. <laughs> you oh. saying that sentence was just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a real video game critic. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I hear the dress spheres are, are like actually uh, a good battle system, which you know can make or break an RPG. And then the story surrounding it. Uh, the story is interesting. I, I think. Uh, yeah, I I tend to. I tend to be more forgiving towards something that's really over the top and sort of uh, tongue-in-cheek ridiculous, which it seems that... I, I haven't played the game, so this is just, you know, all speculation. But, um, I haven't played I, it in years, so I might, I might play it, you know, now and think it's terrible, you know. Just bear in mind. I think probably a lot of Tentu's uh, sort of negative perception uh or at least a significant portion of it came from the fact that it was the first uh, fully well, voice-acted Final Fantasy, and not that well voice-acted. No, not oh, no. A little oh, bit, no. no, no. Yeah, it's terrible. Which, uh, that can really kill a story. Like, not saying really any of the Final Fantasy stories have been uh, masterpieces. I mean, they all have their flaws. But when they're being read in text and you can kind of insert your own voice into the story, things are not necessarily easier to ignore, but they're Better. easier to ignore. Mm-hmm. Easier to forgive. Yeah. Um, whereas if you have sort of a ridiculous story and it's being told to you, by ridiculous people who are not very ridiculous. Competent. It yeah. can, uh, yeah. It can, yeah. It can highlight uh, a lot of uh, un- unpleasant things. Um, again, I I also haven't played ten. Uh, oh really? Yeah, I haven't played nine either. It's like those two are. I, well, aside from 13, which I'm not counting, but those two, I think, are the only ones in the main game stream that I haven't played. No, I think... I, I've heard varying things about 13, but I have a friend who's a big proponent of it. Has anybody... Can anybody vouch that? Oh, uh, what? For, for, for 13? Oh, I I haven't... I, I played it, like, when it came out, and I think I finished it, but I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, the my local video gamery is they're you know marking them down like they're you know going out of style, which I guess I didn't do so well. But I'll probably pick it up recent or soon and play it. I don't know. Wasn't, yeah. 
wasn't there a 13 2? There was. Yeah, yeah, it just came out. For some reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I wasn't counting 13 because I'm not owning a PS3 or Xbox 360 anytime in the near future, so I feasibly can't play it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just heard, the, you know, the big criticism is Final Fantasy Hallway and that, you know, there's kind of not any exploration, I guess. You're just sort of always constantly moving from point A to point B. Which Wait, Final Fantasy what? Yeah. 13. Uh, no, Hallway. Oh, 13. Oh, yeah, Hallway. <laughs> like, you know, you're just kind of moving down this narrow corridor. Oh, okay, I see. Game. I mean, not li- not literally. I, I hope not literally, but, you know, that's... <laughs> Whereas previously, you know, Final Fantasy VII, you sort of walk out of Midgar, and there's this whole world to explore, even though you that's can hard. really only go a couple places. Um, and I guess Final Fantasy thirteen just doesn't even bother with the illusion of blood. Which, again, I think it's fine, because that's kind of how stories often are told, with the beginning, middle, and end, and you just kind of go from one to the other to the other. Uh, but I guess people didn't like that. I don't know. Apparently, 14 was, like, incredibly bad. Like, oh, yeah, no 14 one liked was a disaster. Um, from what I hear, Square outsourced a lot of its development, and it nah. showed... Oh my god! Like I don't know, I don't know what's bad about it. Like, but I'm, I'll, I'll probably research it because I'm interested in you know what makes it so god awful. Um, but like, you know, I'm sure that no one liked it. Yeah, uh, and I think they just sort of, they like ended it right now, and they're gonna bring it back at some point. Yeah, like some, some new extension or something. But yeah, like. I, I, I think they're essentially just redoing significant portions of it to make it the way it should have been in the first place. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't play MMOs, so so Austin, what have you been listening to? Oh, hey, a podcast. Um, hey, uh, oh, I I do want to mention one other artist. Of oh, course. yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, well. Yeah. Well, I have been listening to a lot of Fiona Apple too recently. She's really nice. Oh. No. Just want to say she's, she's cool. good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's like I really like the Idler Wheel, and then I listen to One the Pawn. Yeah. And I was like, oh, these are also really good. And then I listened to Extraordinary Machine and a title, and I was like, oh, these are also really good. And so Fiona she's Apple. A stoner. She's a stoner too, so that makes it better. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Does is it, uh, does smoking weed make you a stoner? I like my my picture of a stoner is always the guy who really smokes weed. It's a cultural thing, yeah. Yeah. It, whereas, <laughs> like, I think, like, it seems like just the pretty much the majority of people smoke weed, and I wouldn't really call them stoners. And, and Fiona okay. Apple just doesn't really strike me culturally as a stoner. She strikes me culturally as a crazy person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, okay, the fact that she was arrested for hash possession, that didn't surprise me in the slightest. I'll just, well, no. yeah, I'll just say no. that, yeah. you know. Definitely not. But um, but the, the artist I wanted to talk about was uh, Sun Butler. <laughs> oh, uh, this is the new Momus uh, joint, is it not? Yes, uh, it's a Momus album, uh, a collaboration with uh, actually another Scottish artist uh, by the name of Joe Howe. 
Um, they had collaborated previously on a 2008 album called Jomas. I don't know why. That, but... That's quality. Also and... have uh, an eye patch. <laughs> I guess. Or uh, Joe doesn't, but Momus has a, has a wonderful, wonderful uh, eye patch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I know the whole story behind how we got it because I know everything about Momus. Uh, but <laughs> because you, you, as you mentioned, uh, you read his live journal for many years. Yeah, well, that that was kind of what he was really known for. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into this, but yeah, he he kept a live journal and it was awesome. Um, but yeah, so some Butler is their second collaboration together, and pretty much Joe Howe did the uh, instrumentals. And then Moments did the lyrics. Um, more specifically, Joe Howe would write these sort of uh, short instrumental pieces, and then Moments would kind of uh, work with it a bit, add, subtract sounds, and then add lyrics on top of that, and uh, publish a song plus a video to YouTube um, as you know part of the Sun Butler uh, song stream, um, which I think Latin itself is really interesting. Uh, is that uh, the way Momus has been writing music lately, he's been doing it in tandem with making a uh, YouTube video for it. Um, and his YouTube videos for his songs, uh, which all can be found on his uh, channel, uh, Momasu, M-O-M-A-S-U. Not like if you were to say Momus in Japanese katakana. Anyway, uh, what <laughs> You're his... just going to gloss over that like it's nothing. Yes. What his... Videos are are uh, basically kind of pulled from other like uh, movies and stage productions and just kind of other videos that you would find on the internet or YouTube. <laughs> other people have watched, um, and he pieces them together. And he said that uh, making the video along with the song has affected the way he's written songs. Um, one example is one of the first track of Sun Butler, called Sun Butler, uh, is, uh, it's accompanying video, all has to do with, uh, like, robots and androids in movies. Like, one of the movies is, uh, Woody Allen's Sleeper, and it sort of has him as the robot butler in that, and I, th- I think there's, but there might be, like, a Kraftwerk video in there. I could be misremembering it. But he said sort of the perky jerkiness of like the way the robots moved um, influenced the, the way he pieced the song together because the song itself is also kind of uh, herky jerky. It has a lot of like empty space in it, which I think really adds to. But it was like things like that. So I, I think the composition of this album was really interesting, and the result of it is also one of my favorites of the year. Because it's, yeah, it's really kind of a homage to, uh, not a homage, but it's very indebted to um, kind of Japanese commercial music from the eighties. Uh, Jesus think, Christ, what isn't these days? Things that well, I know, <laughs> but yeah, you know, things that would have been written by Ryuichi Sakamoto and like the other YMO guys. Because um, Joe Howe limited limited himself to just. Uh, couple sounds on an old FM synthesizer. So 
it's got a really good aesthetic that that appeals to me. It's good synth pop, synth funk. Um, it has a song uh, about uh, big dicks, so it's basically right. a in an album. Uh, I'll just say one thing about Momus. Like I, I don't know anything about him. I don't know any of his music, but eh, I don't know anything about him. But just looking at his 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 picture on Wikipedia, he looks like the most condescending person on the planet. Like he looks like he seems like he's really tall and he's just looking down upon you as inferior to him. Well, to be fair, you you probably are, but you know I'm not to be the judge of that. Uh, Oh, that picture. Oh yeah, I like that picture. Mm. (laughs) I like it too, but yeah, I'm just showing you the vibe that it gives off to me. Like, oh, you simpleton. Yeah, I could I could see moments as a lot. He's, just, he's definitely very uh, educated. I'm sure. I'm, yes, I'm sure he's yeah, a nice. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but you know. Yeah, it, yeah it seems like he'd be a nice guy. Yeah, I'd like to meet him. Uh, is there any? Is there any news on your um, uh, possible interview with the man or uh, his counterpart? I, I still got to do a lot. I I, I just kind of got to start writing uh, about music again. I, I've just been sort of uh, stag about it recently. As many of us have, sadly. Yes. Yes. Anyway, Austin, what have you been listening to? What have I been listening to? Let's do it. Missed you hosting this podcast. All right. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I've been um, uh, uh, frantically educating myself, which is really how I listen to music nowadays. Just you know, get every record I possibly can in a genre and you know, listen to all of them really fast, uh, which I'm sure is uh, both unhealthy and uh, ultimately uneducational, but it's how I do it anyways. Anyway, um, the particular style, fashion, genre, what have you, that I've been uh, frantically educating myself in is the, he- like, the Hecker Lopatan-esque uh, ambient drone uh, noise magic, you know, all that nonsense. Um, uh, <laughs> because I really liked, I really liked, you know, Rave Death and Replica and all that. And uh, so I've listened to a lot of ambient drone noise stuff. And uh, I'm just going to run through all the artists I got, um, some of which sort of vaguely fit this category and some of which are not at all. But um, Aiden Baker, who did an album with Tim Hecker, Belong, Ben Frost, Ryan McBride, Emeralds, Finesse, uh, Fuck Buttons, The Fun Years, Gas, Grouper, uh, Infinite Body, Lawrence English, Low Sill, Mark Templeton, uh, OPN, Shlomo, not Shlomo, uh, Stars of the Lid, Stephen Mathau, uh, Tim Hecker, and uh, one more. He was not showing up here. Anyway, but yeah, all those people, and I've been listening to those albums. I just got probably about 30 records all together, and over break, I've just been working my way through that little um, treasure, tr- treasure trove to uh, you know expand my musical horizons, so to speak. Uh, oh, sorry, Gas. Oh, well, then. Yeah, Gas is the one. Um, Gas is one of my favorites of them because he's like sort of a nice combination between that ambient drone and um, the sort of minimal ambient techno that you see from guys, you know, on like that early 90s warp style thing, just completely drugged out and ambient. Um, Losil is the name, and I know Owen is a big fan of Losil, but he is actually the bass player for Destroyer. But he makes this sort of drone ambient music on the side, and I was very surprised. But 
He has a great album called uh, Plume, and another one which I'm not remembering the name of now. It was also really good. And then, um, of course, I, I know a couple of you listen to Fuck Buttons who probably not entirely fit into this genre, but they are sort of drone in the sense they're like they're like punk drone, which is a thing that exists. And uh, Street Horsing, which is their debut record, was like amazing. That one took me uh, like on a ride for the first time I listened to it. I really really love that album. Yeah, I like uh, I like Finesse a lot. Oh, he's really good too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Black I feel, okay. I feel like Black I should C- listen to him. Yeah, Black Sorry. Sea and Endless Summer were the ones I picked up. Yeah, Endless Summer's really good. Um, he also put out a pretty decent uh, soundtrack this year. Oh, I uh, heard about that, yeah. Yeah, I think it's called On, or it's A-U-N. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've listened to it a couple times. It's pretty good. Uh, Endless Summer was like the nice sort of drone thing, and Black Sea, which is the other one. I had listened to Endless Summer before. But Black Sea was more sort of um, glitched out, I think, uh, very sort of glitch influenced, and uh, it reminded me a lot, just in the sort of you know glitchiness of it, of the uh, I don't know, Steve, you might know about this, the Japanese movement called Ankyo. Uh, yeah. Which is um, it's it's like experiments with the physical properties of sound, and honestly, a right. lot of the albums are more like science experiments than they are like music albums. Yeah. But, that's uh, right. It had a lot of that vibe in there, Black Sea. Yeah, it's like I really haven't listened to many of those albums because, like you, you said, you can't really because a lot of them yeah. are boring as shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, all all that ambient drone stuff, and then let me look at my last FM here. Um, I, I listened to uh, Enter the Wu Tang, which I'm you know we've all done before. <laughs> Hell yeah! Because uh, it's the album of the week for this little club I run. Um, oh, uh, I, Robbie, we, we can we can bro down on this. I've been listening to uh, the sort of very essentials of uh, Doom stoner metal, namely Sleep and um, uh, Electric Wizard. We are throwing the fuck down to this. Because they're kind of the best things ever. Kind of. Yeah, and both of those albums, uh, uh, Electric Wizard, uh, Dope Throne in particular, are uh, samey to say the least. Uh, to where they could be indecipherable if you sort of, uh, you know, tuned out a little bit, um, the whole album. But uh, it, it just sounds so good. Like, they just perfected that, uh, like, sound and aesthetic so much that I could listen to it for hours. And do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will, um, I will never hate myself more than when I think about the fact that I could have seen Sleep last year and I didn't. Oh, wow. Yeah, mostly because of a money thing, but could have done something to you know i i could have given up eating for the pat for like a couple weeks mm-hmm. and you know scrounged up that money but it, it was in like one of those really big expensive venues that oh yeah o- that only goes through Ticketmaster. so you know it, it was kind of it, it would have been like a 30 dollar affair at minimum mm-hmm. which is you know a little pricey for me for shows but yeah um, you know, it's whatever were they, were they playing with anyone notable they were playing with Harvey Milk. Oh, wow. Jesus band. Christ, that would have been amazing. Harvey <laughs> Milk is intense, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard Life, the best game in town uh, from from Harvey Milk, and it's pretty heavy. I, I like recommend um, uh, Human Kindness here. It's got a long title. Uh, Courtesy and Goodwill Towards Men. That was it, yeah. 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 But yeah. Um, Eventually. 
Uh, Metal Nick will tell you all about Harvey Milk because they're one of his favorite bands ever. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I doubt anybody else here has listened to Harvey Milk. Am I wrong? <laughs> you are not. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? And I've been really, because like I said, um, my complete and utter OCD when it comes to listening to a new genre, um, when I, you know, when I started, like, I, I think I was in like seventh grade and I was listening to like Black Flag or something. And I was like, I really like this. I want to listen to more of this. And so I, you know, began the inevitable uh, journey that one punk fan must make where I started with Louie Louie and I listened to all that garage stuff for a long time and progressively worked my way up chronologically to, you know, punk. And, you know, it was really fascinating, really sort of informed how I listen to music today. And I've been doing the same thing, albeit uh, in a more concise and, you know, compacted manner with proto-doom, like proto-doom metal, heavy psychedelic is what it's uh, yeah. sort of known as. Um, and a lot of it isn't as intense as early, you know, sort of proto-punk like MC5 and stuff like that. But, the, you know, the most notable example is Black Sabbath's Master, Master of Reality, which I actually have yeah. the panel right here. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I believe in my... It's your, I'm, it's I'm holding picture. in my Skype avatar, yeah. That was... Yeah. I, I got that for $5 at this little record pile at the flea market, and I was like, yeah. how much is this? And he was like, $5. And I was like, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, why? <laughs> I says, never mind, take my $5, old man. But yeah, um, uh, that was a good day. And uh, But yeah, uh, early stoner doom metal is really like a fascinating thing to me. And um, you find these like super rare records. Um, one of the more interesting ones uh, that I found, which I would hazard to label uh, a proto-black metal. And it's... Really like Robbie. Oh, if you're into this stuff, it's the it's kind of the best thing ever. It's a ba- and it's an Icelandic band, mind you, called Ice Cross. Here I sent the last FM thing to it, but is it's that all- um is that one word? One word. I'm looking Ice- it up on Write Your Music. Yeah, Ice Cross. Um, and it's really really fascinating, like um sort of creepy sounding um heavy psych, with uh like sort of a fast sort of punk drive to it, and it it is in sort of the aesthetic of it, uh, like, traditional doom and like a very sort of black metal reminiscent. It's a really, really cool album, which apparently goes for hundreds on eBay, so I don't know. Would, uh... Only, you, only you would ever discover something like this. I literally fist-pumped when I was like, oh, wow, something like this exists. It was it was really, really cool. But, yeah, what was that, Steve? I was just, I was just wondering, would uh, proto-black metal be called gray metal? <laughs> sure why the hell not sure yeah perhaps uh, perhaps white metal yeah sure well I'm, I'm sure that's a thing i think burzum writes white metal yeah right white metal good one yeah good. yeah uh, uh have Bobby? have you been able to find a decent like rip of this album like decent sound quality YouTube. i've been listening on youtube but... oh okay yeah, I, I that's where I find a lot of these because people like usually up entire albums. Um, I really recommend this one, and then other sort of more you know traditional stuff like um, uh, I guess Pentagram is a really early band, but you probably know Pentagram yeah. and yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Sorcery, which was like late seventies. Uh, yeah, and I I haven't really gotten into the um, traditional like early doom like Pagan Altar and Trouble and Candlemass and stuff like that. But um, or Witchfinder General. Yeah. But uh, I, so, this so is motivated. Uh, this is motivated because I was in uh, Bethesda, Maryland for Thanksgiving, 
And apparently Maryland in the late, like early to mid eighties had like an amazing doom metal scene, which I had no idea about. Yeah. And that's where like, that's where the foundations of modern doom came came from, which was like Maryland. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I just started listening to this, you know, sort of get into the feel of it. But yeah, there's a uh, big, uh, there's a big uh, metal festival in Baltimore. Oh, what's it called? Um, Maryland Death Fest. <laughs> so it goes, yeah. You know, yeah. thinking about what Baltimore is like, it's making more sense. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh-huh. Really? <laughs> very, very I, I, have, I have no idea what it's like. So, ha- Have you seen The Wire? It's pretty much <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right, um, then. Uh, speaking of Baltimore, actually, one of these early proto-Doom bands that I've been listening to is, of course, Sir Lord Baltimore. Ma, well yeah. then. Uh, well, yeah, um, I, I, maybe somebody's heard of uh, Sir Lord Baltimore. But um, the Flower Traveling Band, who were a crazy um, Japanese heavy psych band, they had this awesome album called Satori, which I really recommend, which is, um, it's in five parts, Satori parts one through five. But it's uh, very Sabbath-influenced, very, very heavy, um, sort of sinister-sounding, heavy psych album from Japan. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I look at the radio music page for the genre, heavy psych, and that's the number two album for that. As it should be. And then, uh, I guess number three, of course, is Captain Beyond, who is really good. And um, there's, like, hundreds of these albums, which are really, a lot of them are kind of lost to the ages now. But, um... Yeah, it's just what you imagine sort of that smelly stoner kid in 1974 in high school would be listening to. It's these bands. <laughs> yeah, kind of the, the missing link between psychedelic rock and heavy metal. Exactly, yeah. Heavy psych. It, it even says so in the name. <laughs> and now you, you two, Austin, can be that smelly stoner kid. Yeah, finally, <laughs> I'm coming into my own here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's pretty much what I've been listening to. I uh, really recommend that Ice Cross album because it's crazy that it exists. I um, think that's about it. Yeah. Oh, I also listen, speaking of micro genres and all that shit, I listen to Blank Banshee, that album that they put out. Um, don't know if anybody's listened to Blank Banshee, but it was no, close no. enough. No idea what it, is, what it is. It's like sort of, uh, I guess it's described as cyber trap, which is a thing apparently. Oh, God. God, stop but, it. It's uh, it's it's got a lot of that sort of um, early '90s feel. I liked it a lot. Hmm. Fuck Cyber you. trap. Cyber <laughs> trap. <laughs> Cyber trap. I I assume that that's you know, trap rap or something. Yeah, I, I mean, it, trap instrumentals are cool. I, I I I enjoy them a little bit. They sound nice. This is sort of spacey, psychedelic, um, and sort of influenced by like chill wave and stuff like that. It's enjoyable. All right. That's about it. And I think we've been talking for like an hour and a half. Do you want to wrap this up? Yeah. Let's do it. Because Homeland is on soon. I want to watch Homeland. (laughs) Um, Anyway, everybody from us here at uh, your podcast, Opinion is Wrong, episode 37, we wish you a uh, a fine farewell, uh, adieu, of Weider saying goodbye. This is Austin signing off. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, yeah. You enjoyed it. You listened. Goodbye. Podcast over.